Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I am Aaron. And we're here today to talk about Season 3, Episode 1, titled Valor Doharis? Doharis. Doharis? Doharis. Harris? I think it's Harris. Like, Harris sounds too much like a just a white dude's name. Doharis? Now it's like saying giraffe five times. It doesn't sound like anything. Doharis. Doharis? Valor Doharis. What does it mean? I know what it means. It uh, means uh, all men must serve. It's the it does, yeah. it's the uh, ch- it's the challenge response to Valor Morghulis. All men must die. It's Barristan Selmy's new new motto, I guess. Uh, interesting uh, because we don't see Arya in this. Uh, no, we don't. We don't see Arya. We don't get an update on Jamie and Brienne. Uh, but nope. we uh, it, that's the thing. Like I remember when I saw this episode for the first time, I thought, oh, it's going. You know, uh, we're going to see what Arya's been up to. But you can't do everything in one episode. They do a lot. In, yeah, in this one, they do. Um, and you know, this is a, a season preview, so there's not a lot that's super exciting that happens. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they're they're setting up a lot of of interesting stuff here, right? Uh, so, what do you think of this episode? Uh, it is a good season opener. Mm-hmm. Um, it does a good job of um, introducing some new factions and characters we haven't seen before. We get a better look at the leadership structure of the wildlings under uh mance mm-hmm. raider uh we get introduced i believe um to like how well we don't get introduced to marjorie but we get to see how kind of she's going to function within the court and the setting up the rivalry between her and cersei yeah um and vying for the affection of their ch- of her child <laughs> and Tyrion scrambling to try to find the place for himself in this new world order mm-hmm. um and frankly, for that matter, Davos and Stan is trying to 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 find it the same way. And and Danny, uh, you know, fresh after finding her dragons, uh, now wonders well, how do you take the next step, and what are the ethics of using a slave army to free a continent? You know, mm-hmm. uh, lots of interesting stuff. You're right; they do they do introduce a lot of stuff in an hour. What do you think, man? Uh, yeah, I agree. It was it was an enjoyable episode. Um. You know, this is this is a rewatch. So, having seen this already, I know they're setting up a very enjoyable season. Yeah, with this this beginner. Uh, also, something I think I neglected to mention on the season preview podcast is that um, we don't we don't do spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I realized that there was probably a lot of spoilers in the preview podcast because it was essentially the the Game of Thrones stuff we did down in Texas, but. Uh, in case you're wondering, we don't we, we we're going to we're going to do we're going to cover the episode as if we haven't seen any other Game of Thrones episodes. And then after the podcast, well, during the podcast, but the very end of the podcast, we're going to do a spoiler section where we kind of do looks forward and see um, some material that might be interesting in light of uh, other events. And then that's also where we can just kind of talk about Game of Thrones in general, because I know that's uh, what a lot of fans like to do. You know, probably a lot of like what's going on in season eight and stuff, but that's all going to be <laughs> all going to be past the, the very end of the podcast. Okay, cool. Well, let's get into the recap. Uh, before we get on the episode, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping because my gosh, it's been a while since we kept house on Game of Thrones. If, if you only listen to our Game of Thrones coverage, you missed out on a lot. We did uh, Mr. Robot. We killed the Walking Dead. Uh, we covered Westworld, The Expanse. Uh, right now, we're covering Sharp Objects on uh, HBO, also on HBO. Uh, we're doing that on the Bald Move TV feed. Since it's a mini series, we didn't want to create our own feed. So if you go to baldmove.com and click on the podcast, there is a Bald Move TV 
and uh, we actually did a little bit of talk about the eight, the, the Time Warner AT and T merger and what that might mean for HBO. Uh, and then we also talked about Sharp Objects. We're going to be doing weekly coverage of that. Uh, we also have first run bald movies. Uh, we have already covered a ton of great movies this year, including Annihilation. Uh, Ready Player One, A Quiet Place, Avengers, Affinity War, Deadpool 2, Star War, Solo, Star Wars Story. Uh, we're doing Skyscraper this week, the Dwayne The Rock Johnson vehicle. That should be a lot of cheesy fun. <laughs> um, and also, uh, in the off season, I wrote a book, or I'm writing a book with a religious scholar by the name of Anthony Ladon. Uh, we're doing a Kickstarter right now to raise money for editors, proofreaders, artists, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, book.baldmove.com if you want to get in on that. We've actually already hit our funding goal. We're looking at stretch goals right now. And we're really I was super excited to uh, be able to announce that we brought on the artist Chase Stone, who has done a lot of work for uh, fantasy art for Magic the Gathering and did several illustrations for The World of Ice and Fire. He's going to be doing our cover art. I'm super excited about that. Uh, but if you're interested in the religions of Westeros and comparing them to the real life uh, inspirations they gave, you know, just like the loose story of Game of Thrones is based kind of on the War of the Roses. A lot of the religions in Westeros are based on real life analogs in European and uh, uh, and, and Asian uh, religious cultures. And we draw parallels between that and use it to kind of get some insights of characters and maybe some future plot events. Check it out at book.baldmove.com. Uh, we start with Sam running away from the white the White Walkers that attack them. Uh, he finds his brother killed with his head in his hands, and a white approaches him to kill him, but he's saved by Ghost and Gior, who ask him if he sent the ravens. Of course, Sam did not, which causes Gior to lead the decide to lead the men back to the wall to to warn the rest of the the Seven Kingdoms what's coming. Yeah, the stakes are pretty high. We must reach the wall before winter. Or everyone you've ever known will be dead. Yeah. No, he doesn't mince words. Dead as Sam's raven husbandry career. Oh, man. I love the look on his face when he's forced to admit that he didn't send uh, the raven. And, and Jor has the classic, you had one job. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> um, but pretty cool. Like I, I like Ghost Saving the Day. Um, what did you think about the fact that they yada yada through yet another battle? I mean, we we mm. had just feasted on the wonder that is Blackwater in the previous season, which yeah. is the first kind of large scale conflict that the show did, and they did very well. But I remember, uh, you know, in the pre uh, the first three pod the first three seasons I I did with another podcast a podcaster Mad Brew and. He was an ex-military guy, and he was always frustrated with the shows. Like, oh, we're getting set up for a big battle, and then, <laughs> you know, the fade, the, the 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 fade in from black, and the battle sounds, and then it's it's over. Mm-hmm. Good good uh, budget saving, and also yeah. I don't think George Martin likes writing big battles either because he tends to do this in the text as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of before, there's a lot of aftermath, but actually, like blow by blow, large scale battles, not not so much. Okay, yeah, I had no problem with it. Yeah. Um, honestly, like I thought, you watching, as a zombie guy might want to see some like I've seen some good zombie stuff, and and no spoilers, you'll get better zombie stuff later. Yeah. Uh, so well, this isn't I, the end of the White Walkers. What? Th- this is not. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> so yeah, I actually I don't feel like I missed anything. I was actually very confused coming back into this because it's been. Oh my god! Almost a year, uh, over a year since we did season two. I think uh, didn't didn't it wrap oh, we up did at the end of after August, and, and, and it wrapped season. up. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's been, so it's it's been, been almost a, while. a year uh, yeah. since season two. So I didn't remember anything about the end of season two. Thank God HBO makes those 
season like like what do they call those the catch-ups or the yeah, season whatever. two review or i didn't watch that before i watched <laughs> this so my my mistake i guess uh but yeah i was very confused as to what was happening here uh and what sam was running from i figured it's probably white walkers given his location yeah uh yeah. but yeah the, if if you are confused by this episode i suggest going back and watching that season three primer from hbo it helps a lot uh, so then John is led into the Wildling camp where he sees a giant for the first time and nearly shits his pants, which Egret promptly teases him about. Uh, he's taken to Mance Raider's tent where Tormund Giantsbane, who John mistakes for Mance himself, menaces him. Mance reveals himself and questions John about why he's there and why he wants to join them. And John gives first the wrong answer and then the real answer, which is he saw the White Walkers and the Lord Commander didn't care, so now he wants to fight for the side that will care essentially yeah it's interesting that john uses a large kernel of the truth to sell the overall larger lie that he's defected um right. because we know that he did really struggle with the not not just the fact that the lord commander didn't care but he already knew and this was yeah. an official policy of non-interference with this man's infanticide mm-hmm. um and you know fucked up cult he's running from from beyond the wall so um and and you know i i wonder it's it's interesting to wonder like if Mance Raider that's a decision that he made similarly too because we don't have a lot of information on the show about why he fell from grace why he left the brotherhood why he turned on his former brother Corn the half hand and all that mm-hmm. but you know the fact that he thought this was a good answer I think maybe indicates that that uh, you know wasn't just freedom wasn't just wanting to you know go beyond the wa- uh, the the wall and sow his wild oats no but I mean Mance here reveals in not so many words that he knows of the white walkers and it essentially buys john his life here right the answer that john gives is in line with what mance already believes you can you can tell right um and what mance has seen himself so yeah i I think that's the the saving grace for john is that mance is kind of in the same place as he is regard the white walkers right right uh what did you i I think the the way they portrayed the giants was pretty incredible. Yeah, it it's utterly convincing. It looks great. Um, it's it's very different from how they're depicted in the books. In the books, they're depicted as kind of like Sasquatch, like hmm. this giant. Okay. Like they're covered in thick fur. They don't wear clothes. Um, I I I thought this is a more interesting way to, to portray them. They just look like a bigger version of Tormund. <laughs> they really do. Honestly, or they really do. Yeah. With a, a slightly weirder face, yeah, Ch- uh, Tormund the chicken eater. Uh, that was, that was his name before he got uh, the giant's bane. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I do wonder if, when they were writing, what was going through their heads with this giant scene? Is it is it that Egret is latching on to the thing that they're both watching happen with the giant pounding the stake into the ground, and she's mm-hmm. using that to say, "Hey, he can do that to you." To po- pound the man in the ground, John Snow. <laughs> right. Is that just Egret thinking on her feet here to to tease John? I don't know. I I honestly like um, at this point you don't know like what the deal with the giants are. Um, mm-hmm. They live amongst humanity. They're like in this very large army. Like how effective are they in combat? You, she says they're shy but angry. Kind of sounds uh, reminds me a lot of like Chewbacca, uh-huh. He's a pretty gentle dude. But like you know he might 
might rip your arms off, especially if you've seen the new Solo movie. You don't want to beat a giant chess. No. I'll tell you, in hollow chess especially. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, and I also like the like the little kids that are pelting Jon Snow with, uh, with stones, because this is, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the, the, these these. These factions have been hating each other. This is like the Hatfield-McCoy feud times a thousand years or more. Yeah, that they've been they've been the boogeyman in each other's stories. And I thought it was a nice touch to have the kids kind of like you know increasingly the, the bravest one comes up and throws a stone, and they all start, and then Egret hands one of them their ass, and mm-hmm. uh, good time good times had by all. They- yeah, and and Egret like smacking that kid down shows you what the culture is like up here right yeah. like kids aren't really treated as as they aren't coddled right no 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 <laughs> like they can't step out of line and the, you know they have to be set straight right because if you step out of line you might fall down a crevasse <laughs> and never be seen again exactly uh and, and and freeze to death but they they do a really good job of showing the difference between westerosi culture and yeah. wildling culture because they have that uh the uh the fact that you know john is admonished for kneeling mm-hmm uh, even before the so-called king, but they, uh, beyond the wall, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't do that kind of like weird obeisance to mankind like they do down south of the wall. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot they they use multiple ways to tell these these stories, and I think it was pretty effective uh, an introduction to the culture. Mm-hmm. All right, we go to Bron. Uh, an equally effective scene here. He's with a woman in a brothel when Tyrion sends for him over what he calls a matter of life and death. <laughs> Uh, Cersei visits Tyrion to find out what he wants to get out of the meeting that he's set up with his father. She's very nervous about what Tyrion's going to say to him about her and Joffrey, uh, given some of their actions during <laughs> the Battle of Blackwater. Uh, Bronn shows up outside and insults the guards, and things are about to get violent when the door opens and the guards leave with Cersei. And then there's a short, shortish but very, very entertaining scene of Bronn squeezing Tyrion for double the pay to continue as his personal guard. Uh, we covered a lot of ground in that recap. We did, yeah. I, I actually really, because the, the little moments in this episode, I think, make it. Like, the establishing shot of King's Landing, where there's these boys diving in the water to, like, mm-hmm. loot the wrecks of the Blackwater. Yeah. Which, establish, which sets up, you know, Davos's predicament here in a bit. Uh, I thought that was really cool. I like Braun kind of like enjoying playing a little submissive role to the one of Littlefinger's gr- uh, girls. And uh-huh. I like Pod braving death. Because uh, he's like, as as Bronn tries to dismiss him, he's like, "Boy, I will murder you." And mm-hmm. you know, Pod, it's a matter of life and death. So he's <laughs> he's willing to lay it down. Now, so, some of Bronn's scenes, especially when he's with Tyrion, are the best scenes. Yeah. Just the the rapport that they have and yeah. the casual attitude that Bronn has about everything, even when he's you know squeezing a lord for more money, uh, more riches, more titles. Things like that. You know, last season we talked about it being kind of a high watermark for Tyrion's personal power, and they do such a good job of showing how small his world's become. He's like mm-hmm. locked in this tiny cell. When he addresses his sister, she's flanked by these larger than life Kingsguard. Um, and he's his face is behind that little, you know, like portcullis thing in, in, in the door. And I, I thought that did a good job framing him. He's kind of scarred. Um, I thought that was that was kind of cool. Yeah, they they show you know how marginalized he is, and you mentioned you know him sliding that little window open. Right. It's funny to see Joffrey do the same thing yeah. when he's in the city. It's almost like Tywin's back, the the you know daddy's right. home, and everybody has to kneel before him. And you can hear the, his big footsteps stomping around the house. Right. So you got to yeah. stay on your feet. No, it's good. But Tyrion, yeah, he's completely marginalized at this point. And it's funny because. 
it's like Cersei has ostensibly the upper hand here, mm-hmm. um, but she really fears Tyrion's uh, low cunning, as his, her father says, because you know she can't even beat him verbally. Yeah, and she you can tell that bothers her, and also that it's it's not just all the shit that Cersei and Joffrey have pulled in season two, but like, I think the lie that she's trying to fish around here is the whole incest question. Uh, like, you know, Mm. what's this thing with Jamie, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and Cersei and what's this mean about my grandsons? Like what, I I think she's nervous about being on the same page about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but that the line about you're not half as clever as you think you are, but still makes me more clever than you. Yeah. is is a pretty sick burn. And the way they shot this too, like how they paced they're like these caged lions since they're Lannisters, mm-hmm. like every time Cersei would cross the room, like Tyrion would 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 pivot and and orbit the exact opposite way. Yeah. I like, felt like that she was kind of like he he's just so scared that she's going to pull I mean he's helpless. He's helpless. He is. Yeah. Um, like those, and she had just tried to kill him, right? I mean, that's, right. That's the with thing. the Kingsguard. She, yeah. Now he's got two and no bodyguards. <laughs> right. So, but she makes a good point. You know, if she wanted him dead, she just do have it done. Yeah. Although I think it's a little more difficult now that Daddy's home. You know, I don't think even as much as Tywin hates Tyrion, I don't see him as allowing yes. his children to kill each other. Yes, at least as blatantly open about it as would be like strolling into his chamber and murdering like, him with like, Kingsguard. Like even Cersei at her, and even Cersei at her most cunning yeah. would probably commit something that Tywin would see through as an amateur hour operation. Oh, of course, yeah. Like, but, she, but I feel like he might be okay with it if it had some veil of... Maybe. Like, oh, plausible deniability right. here. But, right. but to walk in and just murder him, right. that's, that's no good. I think I just... I, I also think that, like, it's one thing to be murdered on a battlefield, but I yeah. think Tywin just, like... If Tyrion got murdered within King's Landing, period, that would kind of impugn Lannister power. Like a Lannister got murdered Absolutely. in the seat of her power. What the fuck? I saw. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think she could get away with it, regardless. No, um, I, I think the you know the vicious slander that she's talking about here is um, partially that you know that yeah. she had tried to have him killed mm. at the Battle of the Blackwater. I don't think he wants or she wants Tyrion spreading that to her father. There's lots of things it could be. It could be a Stannis letter uh, with the true allegations of the incest. It could be Mm -hmm. the plot to have Tyrion murdered. It could also be the fact that Joffrey turned tail and ran like yeah. he was abandoning the city to its fate um mm-hmm. like and the fact that cersei um was hold, was holed up ready to die like none of them covered themselves in glory except Tyrion, except and Tyrion's Tyrion. one getting shit on yeah no it so, sucks who's your money on braun or the two king's guardians one of them was sir Marin trant the other or sir Perrin mant braun was like you know fucking he, with him he knew what he was doing there yeah he knew he knows the guy's name I think I think uh, Sir Marin pulls a sword and he's got he's got a he's got a dagger stuck through his armpit into his heart before he gets it clear. I agree with that. I do worry about that second Kingsguard though. Mm. He doesn't I, even have a name. That's true. That's true. <laughs> he he's like it's like the Austin Powers. It's like look at you. You don't even you're, you're just a henchman. You don't even have a name. Yeah. Uh, he he would have ran. <laughs> he ran away. <laughs> uh, maybe Pod. I mean shit. If Pod can kill, and that's the other thing. Um, 
is I think you're supposed to understand that the King's Guard is starting to degrade. Mm-hmm. Like it's we're we're well away from the days of Cerberus and Selmy's trying to maintain honor in the fa- in the face of the usurper and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. um, you know these guys not only are they not honorable, but they're not particularly skilled either. Yeah. Um, so I I think that's one of the other things you're supposed to understand about the the, the universe. And even Bronn says, like, you're just a grub in fancy armor better at beating girls and facing men in battle. Mm-hmm. And I think Bronn beat them both pretty handily. All right, we move to Davos, who wakes up on the rocks. Uh, s- somewhere outside of King's Landing. I'm not really sure exactly where they are. It's because like the mouth are... of the Blackwater, I think. Like, the yeah. you know, he's, like, kind of got swept out to sea. Okay. They, well, he flags down a passing ship. Yep. Uh, they ask which king he served, and Davos answers true, and it's apparently the right answer, yeah. uh, Stannis Baratheon. I think it's kind of funny how he tried to maybe get away with, like, oh, yeah. the one true king of Westeros, of course, to send, but the guys weren't giving him nothing. So. Yeah, and then, you know, he sticks to his principles here, yeah. and he could have died for it, because it's much safer, given where he is, yeah. to say Joffrey, you know? But he sticks to Stannis. Um, I also enjoyed the, the attention to detail that they, when he was waving him down, you could visibly see that he was missing the fingers mm-hmm. on the, the. He got his his gloves blown off. Yeah, in that battle, <laughs> yeah. just t- completely torn off. Yeah, um, I mean, he did get blown off his ship by that that wildfire. <laughs> yeah, he um, did. But no, I thought that was that was a cool. I've attention heard of to detail. shoes getting blown off. But right, and then you're dead. Gloves? You're just dead if that happens. If, if you get your, I, I, there must be a. A subsection of lethality where if your gloves and shoes get burnt, blown <laughs> off, it cancels each other out. Right. Equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> exactly. It's just science. It holds your insides in. <laughs> uh, all right. Salador San takes him aboard and tells him that Stannis is alive and he's in Dragonstone, but he's consulting only with the Red Woman, which Davos is not happy to hear. Mm-mm. So he begs Salador to take him there so he can kill the Red Woman. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, this is another efficient storytelling. Like, they sell, like, honestly, they sell these people, be, these guys being long-term friends better than, like, Lucas ever sold Obi-Wan and Anakin. <laughs> like, in just this five-minute scene, you find out that, you know, like, like Davos throws, you drank with me on my wedding day. And he goes, yeah, and you drank with me on all four of mine. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then at the end where he's trying to speak, because he's, I think he genuinely likes Davos and yep. admires him. And he's like, look. Your king has gone borderline Phantom of the Opera crazy in Dragonstone. He's burning men alive, anyone that says a word against him, and you're gonna you're gonna cut this woman's heart out? Like you're gonna even if you succeed, you're gonna die. And as he, he says, it's like, look, when you die, I'm gonna gather your bones in a sack and let your widow wear them around her neck. Which I uh, guess I didn't realize that Davos was married. He is married. We have some feedback about it. Huh. So Okay. He's talk- just kind of been out. <laughs> He's been out. Like he he's said, now I'm going to the drugstore. He's <laughs> right. And five years ago, and now he's he's still not back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we move on to Rob and Roos showing up at a castle which is unoccupied. I thought this was Hall. It is. It for sure but definitely I, is. Okay. I, hmm. All right. Yeah, what, what's that your, makes what's sense. Because like the yeah. Lannisters essentially abandoned it last year to in favor of going to King's Landing, right? And they thought that maybe the mountain would be garrisoning here too, but like apparently uh, the Lannisters are just running from Rob. They, it's, it's frustrating him in the establishing shot of this that you know, yeah, haven't had a stand up fight with the Lannisters in some time. No, they they talk about Jamie. Um, I my guess is that they think Jamie is leading an army somewhere. 
It's hard. It's hard to tell based no, no. on the dialogue. Jamie, uh, I know where Jamie is, oh, oh, but oh. but where do they think he is? Um, I don't. They they think he's just you know running in the open country with probably Brienne trying to get back mm-hmm. to King's Landing. Okay, uh, that's why they're you know they arrest his mother. Well, they don't arrest. I mean, they already arrested her mother, and yeah. they're sending her to a cell and all that kind of stuff. Right. So there's uh, the, the gruesome remnants of a battle here, including one surviving maester named Kyburn, mm-hmm. and like you said, Rob orders his mother held in a cell. Yeah, there's a, so like stuff that you can see that there's like you know the Karstark, um, Rickard Karstark is continuing to be very salty about uh, letting his son's murderer go free. Yeah, um, and Rob sees that. You yeah, know, he sees it in the faces of the men and decides. I can't let my mother just run around. Right. And even like as she like she kind of tells her personal cost, like she sees one of her father's bannermen that died for Rob mm-hmm. uh, that were all brutally massacred here at the uh, at Heron Hall. And yet that's the moment he says to he hardens his heart and says, find a chamber. It'll serve as a cell. And even his wife, Talisa, tries to intervene um, and uh, he's not having it. Like he can't. I, I think that's true. Like he literally can't afford to be weak at this moment. Like any yeah. any more. He's got zero margin for political mistakes at this point mm-hmm. because he fucks up any more time. His bannermen are going to start abandoning him, and all he's got going for him is he's never been defeated in battle. Yeah, uh, and his direwolf. And if he loses his mojo, it's it's going to go bad for him. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, moving on to Tyrion meeting with his father. He says that he wants some credit for his role in the defense of King's Landing, as well as. Uh, you know his his rightful lands, which include Casterly Rock, uh, and his titles. And Tywin promises him other lands and positions, but refuses Casterly Rock because essentially he hates him and everything that he represents. Uh, there's a lot of resentment there for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and then he sends him away, but not before promising to hang the next whore that he catches in his bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this for me is one of the most memorable scenes of the entire series just because of how shitty Tywin is. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Um, Th- this defines Tywin for me. Yeah. And, uh, like, the the anger that he feels at Ta- uh, at, at Tyrion, um, does it... I mean, I think that he would dislike Tyrion just in general because, like, he... He's in a you know in his in Tywin's eyes he's imperfect he, you know the the Lannisters project this image of beauty and power and wealth and you know per- perfection mm-hmm. uh, like the, the 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 vicious gossip about Tywin is he shits gold like uh, and then you got this like deformed this dwarf son I, I, I mean this is how Tywin sees it that that's this person that you know a, a, against a golden god Jamie is just such a just doesn't measure up in, in, in multiple categories. Mm-hmm. And he's asking for, you know, what is his legal right? Because Jamie and the Kings are, he can't inherit titles. He can't take lands. So who, uh, you, the question is like, who the hell is Tywin going to give this to eventually? Yeah. Like, is he just going to give it like the skip, skip a generation, give it to Tywin? Is he going to like give it to his bro, uh, his brother's kid, uh, Lancel, that little shit. Um, but he's just so angry on top of all that stuff that, like, uh, Tyrion also, he's being blamed for killing his mother. Right. Which is fucked up, but, you know. Yeah, but Tywin is fucked up in that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then he also says that 
since I cannot prove that you're not mine, the gods have cursed me to watch you waddle about in my colors and banner. Mm-hmm. But I'll I'll be consumed by maggots before I make you an heir to the rock. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 really brutal. It's really brutal. And 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 also, there was low key danger with like Shay and Tyrion because like you know Cersei might find out, and then what would happen? But he was still the hand in the king. Now that Tywin's here, mm-hmm. like there's there is an exclamation point to this danger. Yeah. And last season told the story of Shay not really suffering well under this yoke of like oh, we got to keep everything secret and we got to sneak around and and mm-hmm. now it's going to be even more dangerous. It's like bad signs for their relationship. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have to say, I really love the the Chamber of the Hand uh, mm-hmm. as a set. Yeah, I think like there's no show that does sets better than Game of Thrones. Right, right. I, I literally can't think of a single one. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, they use real locations, which helps a lot. Uh, but then, just the dressing is so good. Um, everything about it, it yeah. just feels like you're in the place. It really at does. The time. Uh, then we move on to Sansa and Shay sitting on a dock, making up stories about the ships as they sail by. Uh, Littlefinger approaches Sansa to offer her a way back to her mother and sister, and Roz assesses Shay as, let's say, her kind of woman, uh-huh. and warns her to watch out for Sansa with Littlefinger, because yeah. you know Littlefinger is a manipulating bastard. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Roz is a sad character because I, I really like her. I don't know that the show knows what to do with her because hmm. she is current like. She knew everything there was to know about Littlefinger seasons ago, but she's impotent to do anything about it. Yeah. Like, she's stuck serving this just vile, terrible man. And all she can do is warn uh, Shay about it in not so many words that, that he is this vile, terrible person that can't be trusted, especially around Sansa. Yeah, and I think it's important, you know, that Roz grew up or, or came up around Sansa, right, in Winterfell. Yeah. Yeah. So she has some loyalty even above and beyond what she does to Littlefinger, her employer. Right. She, I thought it was a good touch that, like, you know, I grew up in the shadow of Winterfell, and when this girl was born, the bells rang from sun up to sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a that was a nice touch that she she actually remembers that. And I, you know, everyone loves the Starks up north, so I'm I'm sure there's like actual affection here. Yeah. Um, it would be terrible if she got ground up in the in the same machine. On the other hand. I'm not digging how snotty Sansa is. To sh- like, I-, I feel like she's very quick to be a shit to to uh, Shay. Huh. Okay. I-, I guess I just read it as a young girl who wants to play a game and isn't being uh, helped it's just in a, that regard. It's, it's just a, I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. But on the other hand, uh, you know, she's had to learn some tough lessons. and Or may- maybe this is another attempt to just play a girlish game because last season she was forced to be the backbone of the ladies of King's Landing as they're waiting to be, you know, murdered and, and, and raped to death by the invaders. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's like I I keep waiting for Sansa to, like, become more than what she is, and it's it's hard to compare her to Arya because, uh, like, Arya's so likable, and she's, like, grabbing things by the scruff and, and trying to maybe no more effectually than than Sansa, but at least she's trying. Yeah, Arya is making her own way, whereas Sansa is just being led around. Right. Uh, and this is yet another scene of that. You right. know, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I can put my finger exactly on Littlefinger's motivations here, mm-hmm. but he's clearly, he always, I mean, Littlefinger always has an ulterior motive. Right. 
uh, getting Sansa out is not simply because he likes Sansa and wants to see her live. Yeah. And even something else behind it. Like, I do believe he liked and even loved Catelyn, but Mm -hmm. he's not above murdering her husband and putting her in a situation where she's in in danger. Right. Um, You know, because Littlefinger... I think the most important thing to Littlefinger is Littlefinger. Yeah. So, you know, he might like you, he might be using you for a scheme, but uh, he he's... Everything's very transactional with him, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. All right, Danny laments her lack of an army while she and Jorah sail to Astapor. And we're kind of treated to a little dragon scene here, mm-hmm. fishing and uh, just flying around, tossing fish in the air and... and burning them instant torching yeah seared ahi tuna dragons like their their fish cooked yeah they do they're not fans of raw fish uh no sushi some reason no sushi for drogon uh the dothraki aren't taken to the water very well no they're not they are still here which danny takes as a sign that they'll follow her anywhere and jorah cautions her that she hasn't quite proved herself to all dothraki yet right especially the one on his hands and knees puking up <laughs> three breakfasts worth yeah. of stuff like that guy is not having a good time yeah he just had a grand slam <laughs> from Dindies and or from Denny's, and he uh did not keep it down and they also mentioned that like the big uh, one of the big uh tensions for danny this season is how do you liberate a land or take something back with like good intentions if you use like slave labor because mm-hmm. you know they're going here to purchase the unsullied which is the greatest parenthetical slave soldiers in the world and what does that mean for 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 Danny who kind of grew up in a s- slavery chattel situation herself uh who wasn't free to make her own decisions how how is that going to sit with her yeah no no it's a it's a good thing for her to be wrestling with yeah. at this point um, because it, it's also made more interesting by the fact that she's very desperate. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't have a great avenue to find an army. Right. Um. This is this is like the one thing that she thinks she can do here. Uh, if she wants to claim her her rightful place, so she's kind of stuck between like a rock and an ethical dilemma. Yeah. Which is, which is a cool place for her to be. Gives her something interesting to do, for sure, other than just looking for her dragons. Yes. Damn dragons. All right, Davos arrives at Dragonstone, and he tries to convince Stannis to continue to fight and to ditch Melisandre. She claims that everything bad happened because Davos convinced Stannis to leave her behind at Blackwater. Convenient, that. Yeah, uh, and Stannis tries to stab her, but Stannis guards grab him and take him to the dungeon. Yeah, I mean, she really provokes him. Um, she been essentially says all of your failures were your own and I could have, I could have saved them. And Mm -hmm. I wonder how much of this Stannis believes, I guess a lot. I think a good chunk of it. Yeah. Because he's willing to throw Davis in the dungeon. Um, and And there's a look, they, they specifically linger on Stannis when she says, you know, but I wasn't there because you convinced my King to leave me behind and they show Stannis and he's like, Yep. <laughs> right. Right. Because he believes. I mean, he he believes in a large part of her power. I mean, she's demonstrated yeah. enough that uh, it's it starts to make sense with him. But the, the the final jab where she says, "What I told your son was true. Fire is the cleanest death." Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like she f- prophesied it. It just makes da- Davos lose all of his cool, and and he he tries to he tries to make good on his threat to <laughs> cut her heart out. And those guards are in there. They quick. are. Yeah, and they're on top of him. Uh it's interesting. There's like no hesitation. Like no. uh they 
from the way uh, uh, his buddy Salvador San was was talking, like maybe some of his men would be like not on board, but I guess the mm. ones that aren't burnt probably are pretty thick in the religion. Yeah, yeah, I think seeing your comrades burn would probably change your mind pretty quick. You wonder, like, in the campfires around, like, the remaining men that are still loyal to Stannis, like, how many people are saying, boy, if we had, you know, if we had the Red Lady with us, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and it's really easy to, you know, talk about hindsight, right? Like, oh, (laughs) you know, what if? What if I was there? Right. Uh, Who knows what would have happened? Right, we go on to Joffrey and Marjorie uh, being transported through the city. Marjorie stops to visit with the orphaned children. She tells them that their fathers are knights in spirit because they fought to save the city and promises they'll take care of them with food, homes, and clothing. And when they return to the castle, they have dinner with Cersei, who warns her that she could have been killed by the people of Flea Bottom. I think they're in Flea Bottom, yeah? Uh, yeah, they mentioned yeah, yeah, Flea yeah. Bottom. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, Marjorie insists it's her duty to use their bountiful harvest to feed the starving citizens, but Cersei is unimpressed. Uh... I think it's the contrast between Joffrey and Marjorie and how deftly she's playing him uh, is mm-hmm. is funny. Like you see, you start off when we're inside Joffrey's litter and he's got his little rag and he's hold it to his nose because oh my god, these people are just just garbage people and they stink and oh they're shitting in the streets. Oh my god. Yeah. And then Marjorie just gets out and flounces with her dress through this big shit puddle and. Mm-hmm doesn't care and she's effortlessly bonding with these uh, these children and she's telling the septa to come directly to her like she's she is uh she's she's being his human half like uh, you start to think like maybe maybe this list would actually work this political alliance would work because like joffrey is a complete garbage human being but you know marge is 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 got a big enough heart for both of it both of them well you need the you need Honestly, you need the Trinity. You need yeah. you, you need Marjorie, Joffrey, and Tywin because yeah. you got to have a military arm. And sure. I don't think that Marjorie is up to that task. And I know that Joffrey is not. Right, right. So you got to get Tywin in there too to really have the full uh, king in in a three person package. Yeah. Uh, and then the dinner scene I thought was great because yeah. he, once again Cersei feels like she's being uh, outmaneuvered by people that she's better than. Yeah. You know, like she sees this as a weakness, uh, this, this, uh, uh, and, and just the fact that like nobody likes Cersei. No. Uh, her whole life, the only type, the only, I mean, like, I, I guess as a little girl and as a young woman, she's just so extraordinarily beautiful that she could just get away with anything. Mm-hmm. And she's also from the richest, one of the most, most powerful families of Westeros. But now there's a couple of mentions about the fact that she's getting older and you know maybe all this like constantly sitting around and drinking wine uh has has started to rob her a little bit of her looks and make her brittle and like boy if that goes what has she got and she's Mm -hmm. now seeing this very beautiful potential young new queen who also has a touch with the people and that's a huge threat and not only that she's 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 wrapping wrapping joffrey around her little finger too right that's the thing this this scene is one of many that is all about the battle for joffrey you yeah. know the the battle for control of the kingdom via Joffrey because Joffrey does not have control himself he's being right. manipulated from all sides and since Joffrey put like uh, Cersei back on her heels last season with like you know you've touched me again or speak to me again and you know queen or no it's going to be go bad for her like 
Joffrey clowns on her. It's like, oh, you know, my mother, her facts get less important to her as she gets older, and she has to just take it. Yeah. She can, at best, come back with, a, like, a lukewarm retort that's kind of aimed at Marjorie. But Despite being entirely right, and Joffrey right. knowing she's entirely right, like... You know, he says, oh, our lives were never really in danger. But God damn it, in that right. scene, you were shitting your pants, kid. Of course kid. he was. Of course and that's the thing was. I like about about when Marjorie stops, right? right. You, you know that Joffrey has had an experience just like this, and it went terribly and wrong. And that's the reason they're in these armored litters and right. under heavy guard, because of his, 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 his bullshit and last yet, season. And yet he's taking, you know, he's essentially ignoring the facts to right. dig his mother here. Right. Uh, they also show, like, uh, you know, uh, they, they've been telling this in a, very, a variety amount of ways, but we find that, the, like, you know, Marjorie's family um, from the the, uh, the Reach has been bailing King's Landing out. Like, they're the new Lannisters. They've got 100 wagons with food and... <laughs> Coming in yeah. on the daily, on the daily, there's a stream uh, of stuff that they're gonna they're gonna bail King's Landing out, and so even then, like Cersei can't even without Tywin, she can't be too rude because what happens if Marjorie's like, oh, you know what, fuck all this, I'm taking her hundred wagons, we're going. Yeah. Then the people starve and they destroy. They they pull King's Landing down brick by brick. Yeah, it's almost like Marjorie is trying to turn the people against Cersei. Yeah, by both being kind to them and providing them with food, just by showing the contrast yeah. in the the attitudes. Yep. Of the here's, here's your old queen. Yeah. And now here's your you, new queen. you know the old queen. She's been around for a long time. What'd she do for you? Here's the new queen. Yeah. Uh, new hotness, and I also bake the bread and bring home the bacon. So uh, you mentioned the hundred wagons that arrive daily. Uh huh. I think it's hilarious because if you watch that scene closely, yeah. you can see that what Marjorie actually said when the scene was being filmed is a thousand wagons oh, really? daily. You can see her mouth say thousand, oh. but the dialogue says hundred. The rare oper- the rare time where the double D's actually yes. took a step back and said, is this believable? A thousand? Really? A thousand? A thousand? That's a lot of wagons, right? It's like That's one order of, of magnitude too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think... Yeah. <laughs> They not a spoiler, but they're not as they're not as good about that in, in later seasons. It's just like right. ah, thousand ships, a thousand ten thousand wagons men, a hundred thousand men, a million dragons, whatever you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, okay, Danny arrives at Astapor and is treated to a demonstration of the Unsullied Army's obedience and told about their rigorous training, while their owner insults her behind the veil of his interpreter. And Danny is displeased with the cruel methods of their training, which includes. Each one of them going out and killing a child, a, a small baby, in front of their mother, and then paying a silver coin to the owner of the baby for the loss of the potential yeah. slave. No, I mean this. Yeah, how does a society like this continue for any amount? Of, like, I, I don't know. Maybe this is me being soft-hearted and and headed, but like I gotta believe that a society that evil would just collapse under its own shititude. Yeah. You know, like, the, the, this is that fucked up view of human life. Like, there's just no way that you can, there's just no way that that's a stable equilibrium. You wouldn't think so. But then again, yeah, it's I like. I mean, I can't imagine the vice grip you have to have on the people to make that work. And you got to make these fanatical soldiers where only one out of four boys survive the train. I mean, this shit's like right, right out of Warhammer 40K. <laughs> Like training the space marines, and that is often seen as like self parody and yeah, you know, just 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 up its own ass. But like this is just a just a terrible, terrible, evil uh, cancer on on the planet. And like you even see like 
the 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 owner, the slave owner, can't even be civil to a client. Right. Like he's just he he thinks he's better than everyone. Uh, yeah. It's 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 he calls Danny an ignorant whore. Uh, I forget what he says to to the the knight uh, Sir Jorah, but uh, I also it's it's it is high comedy though. Uh, the translator. Like says, yeah, tell this ignorant whore to watch this. But the master begs you to attend to this demonstration carefully. Right. And the dude just like cuts off his nipples, mm. and you find out yeah. these guys are all castrated, and ah, oh, it's bad. Yeah, I mean they're really setting him up to be the worst. He is. And I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with that. But... You know, it almost been an interesting idea to show these guys as like more of a velvet glove. Like, you know, Danny already had a moral conundrum just doing this transaction. Mm-hmm. Having these guys be just the height of scum and villainy kind of makes the decision easier, right? It, it like, does like, 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 make, make Jorah's argument resonate. Right, know? right. And I, I feel like that maybe, like, if these guys were a little bit, you know, more civilized and, like, cultured and... Uh, you tried to make some argument. I don't know. I don't know how they could put a good face on the the brutal nature of this training. But right, uh, and and it's just the fact that you're turning men into automatons. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't even try. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if it. You know, his his. Um, I guess disdain for Danny stems from her being a woman wanting to buy his army. Probably, it's probably a, big part a good of chunk it. of that. Like, yep. I wonder if he would treat you know Jorah the same way if he were to come up and buy try and buy the slaves right i mean i I, i'm certain he wouldn't respect jor anymore but there certainly is uh i mean i have no problem ascribing sexism to this guy's many many right (laughs) sins like why not (laughs) throw it in the fucking heap set it on fire yeah uh and then i also like this this like i mean it gets the progressive revelation like you, Danny arrives at Astapor, and the, the, we are informed that these guys have been standing here for a full day and night without food and water, mm-hmm. and just like, and then you find out they're training, and he cuts off one of their nipples, and then, and then when the guy, uh, when he's like, "Yeah, I'm done with you," and the guy's like, "It pleases me to have served you," it's like, it's Jesus, wow, yeah. it's brainwashing, yeah, <laughs> of the highest order, yeah. Uh, after the meeting, Danny discusses the ethics of owning a slave army with Jora as they follow a girl who wants to play with him, and a man in cloak. Uh, also follows them when the girl throws her a ball with a scorpion creature in it the cloaked man saves her and reveals himself as Sir Barristan Selmy who says that he failed her family whom he has sworn to protect and pledges himself as her protector if she'll have him uh, not a great not a great argument Sir Barristan right you, you come up and you say I failed the last person I pledged to protect in every way imaginable. <laughs> I would love to be your protector if you had. Then I me. got fired from the 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 other job I took. Yeah, um, much worse argument than the arguments Jor is making for the slave army. It does move Danny though, like yeah. the fact that this is the man who was the king guard, king's guard to, uh, you know, her father. I think mm-hmm. was interesting. Um, the other thing that was interesting is that in the book. He wears this disguise for an extended period of time. And he goes around as Arston Whitebeard, and it's okay. like a big reveal when they find out that he's actually, you know, Selmy. But mm-hmm. in the show, like George does this all the fucking time, where people like have thin disguises or different names, and but you just can't do that in the show, right? Like this, the guy is who he is, and it yeah. would be 
tedious for the like if you get six episodes in and it's like oh he steps forward and says i'm embarrassed and sell me <laughs> so i think it was it was cool how they adapted this to where it didn't really matter yeah um i also thought that like i i thought the the sequence where the little evil girl warlock uh how they did her up to where she had the blue teeth and mm-hmm. like 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 you could just instantly tell that she's one of them and she jumps into the water and then teleports and the fucking f- creepy death's head scorpion that shit was really cool i guess really cool. i thought that the warlocks had been burned up in the house of the undying but what does that even season? mean that's that's a good question yeah to to uh, to, a, to a warlock or the maybe there are powers. more like i i thought those were the only that that, that was the only warlock mm-hmm. the one that she burned but no, Maybe it's it's it's, it's uh, they're essentially running the same scam that's in the Prestige. They're just like yeah, a hundred of them. They all look the same. They're not even right. really teleporting. They're just they're just they're just you know, uh, it, it's all stagecraft. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't even look like Danny is hearing the arguments that Jorah is making, right? Because she's so enthralled by this little girl's right. playing. Like she, Jorah's saying all this stuff like. Oh, you know, are you going to treat them? You're going to treat them better. Imagine their lives under you as opposed to this guy. And she's just like smiling, looking into the distance at this girl. Yeah, you can see how that would be nothing. like, um, you know, effective. Like, well, you know, someone's going to buy these slaves. Sure. Yeah. Might as well be you because you're not going to, you know, you're going to be cutting off your nipples, right? No, he almost frames it as like saving them from yeah. the, the fate that they're currently living. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, I'm, and I'm not sure why. Jorah's reaction to Selmy coming forward, like, reads as, like, a jealous one. Hmm. Um, I could see it being a nervous reaction, uh, but, like, it reads to me... he's the sworn protector of Danny. <laughs> like... It's always, like, uh, another old-ass dude moving yeah. in on my territory. It's <laughs> like, hey, there's already one slightly too old for this queen <laughs> guy jockeying for her position and don't need another one, but I, it's... Uh, I don't know. That's like Jorah's weakness is that he he is insanely he's in love with with Danny and like every way you can be in love with someone and quite unrequited. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. That's the end of the episode. That that whole scorpion thing. There was a dedication at the end of the episode, Martin Kinsey, um, and that uh, this guy was a British second unit director and cinematographer who worked on The Shining, Return of the Jedi, Aliens. Wow. The King's Speech and HBO shows like uh, Rome and, of course, Game of Thrones. And he tragically died at the age of 56 of a cancer hmm. uh, shortly before the season. And there there was a I, I found a picture of him standing uh, on the, the wildly wherever they filmed the, the wilding shit in Norway or Finland or whatever. Hmm. Um, so uh, I thought that was a, a nice, nice little tribute. All right. Um, shall we do feedback? Yeah, let's do it. You know, as we mentioned in the housekeeping uh, part of the podcast, um, before we move on to feedback, we do a, a lot of stuff here at Bald Moon. We do TVs. We do, uh, we do a lot of TV shows, a lot of your favorite TV shows, a lot of your favorite movies. Uh, now we're doing an off-season in the middle of a Game of Thrones content drought. We're doing uh, a rewatch of season three. Uh, how do we do that? How do we pay the bills? Uh, we do so. We're th- warlocks. We're, and we right. just conjure gold. We Out do. Of nothing. We do. We conjure. It's. It's. We. We've had. We. 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 We are packed to the rafters with deathhead scorpions. We yeah. haven't figured out a way to convert that to gold yet. <laughs> no. Uh, and me turning into a little girl with blue stained teeth just isn't the money maker <laughs> that you'd think it would be. <laughs> so we've fallen back on our club, club.baldmove.com. 
Uh, if you sign up for club, the club, not only do you have the satisfaction of knowing that you're allowing us to produce our independent content, but you also get a lot of bonus features. We do uh, video versions of a live or podcast. Each week we do the fabulous variety show called Lunch with Jim and Aaron, where we talk about whatever, and we also take a live Q&A from our audience. Uh, we do spoiler versions of our first-run bald movies, uh, so you can get like detailed takes on the hottest movies out. Uh, just tons of stuff. We got this thing called Quip, where we uh, quit your pitching, where we pitch absurd TV shows to each other, and I've heard that that's funny. A lot of people like it. A lot of people enjoy it. Uh, and there's a ton of other stuff. You can go to club.baldmove.com and get samples of each one of these features, and if you sign up, you get a 30-day free trial. Go to club.baldmove.com and support Bald Move today. If you want to give us feedback, uh, it's Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can give us spoiler feedback, non-spoiler feedback. I will sort it out, and we will consider it on the show. Uh, it's typical that we get much more spoiler feedback than non-spoiler feedback because the most the majority of people have, you know, it's the biggest television. I don't know if you heard, biggest show on the planet, 100 million people watching. Uh, if you're a latecomer, that's cool. Glad to have you on board, but you're in the minority. Uh, but if you are, please send me that feedback. I'd love to consider it. Mm-hmm. First up, Tori W. from Texas. Um, I hope he gets. Uh, hope this gets to you all before you record. And she want to know in the future, or he, I don't know, Tori could be a he or a she. In the future, when do you all record? Um, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Tuesdays, Eastern are we going to do? Are we going to make that standard? I mean... The only thing that might... Because we got some travel are, coming up. Like, the, the summer, sometimes it changes, and... Yeah, I, not not Tuesdays. Sorry, Thursdays. Tuesdays are normal day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in the on season, uh, off season, it's Thursday at one p.m. Normally, it's going to be Thursday at one p.m. But there are like we got to go to Philly for the podcast movement event, and it might yeah, change. we won't be doing a live recording then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some things, but like in general, like if you get it to us the Sunday before the week, you know, obviously you'll we'll be all all good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, on with the questions. When Cersei and Tyrion are talking, there's mention about a servant girl getting beaten or killed on Cersei's behest. Is this event explored more in the books? What happened or what became of this i don't think so um there's certainly tales of cersei being a shit uh as a girl that we that that will be illuminated as we get further in the story um but i i, I don't think so because that scene between cersei and Tyrion is an entirely sh- like a, a show invention that never happens in the books hmm. so i don't i don't think so uh, they also say when Sir Davos Seaworth and his pirate friend are talking on the ship after rescue, his pirate friend makes mention of Sir Davos' wife. Uh, I don't believe we've ever met Mrs. Davos in the Game of Thrones show. Is she more of a character in the books? Will we meet her in the future? Um, she's just an onion. She is. She's just a, a human being-shaped uh, effigy <laughs> made of onions. It's just like Wilson from Castaway. Uh-huh. You know, Davos gets lonely, and he carved uh, a face <laughs> on an onion. Uh, and uh, and and a well you no, no I'm gonna start there okay, I'm gonna stop yeah. there good idea onions have layers um <laughs> she's mentioned a little bit more um there's the Davos writes like so so Davos being be made a knight he gets a small keep in the Stormlands on uh, I think it's called the Cape of Wrath uh so he's got a little steadfast uh, and, and in the books he's got a lot more kids he actually brought five of them to the Battle of Blackwater. And uh, all, all but one died. So he's like, you know, he's got his grief time multiplied by four. And his wife is at home with her, the two youngest children. Um, he writes her to, and he thinks fondly of her. But like, no, she's not a, a big character in the books. So uh, don't be looking for Mrs. Davos 
Although, who knows? Season 8. She's, that's her moment to shine. Uh, finally, some more of a statement and a question. Did you notice that when Marjorie comes out of the orphanage and is talking with the women running the orphanage about if they need anything to come directed to her, that she's literally standing where the shit puddle would be located based on the previous scene? <laughs> uh, yeah, she, uh, maybe she's like an elf in Lord of the Rings. She just kind of like floats above it. Uh-huh. But yeah, she was standing ankle deep in in raw human sewage, and and in prime bucketing position. Yeah, so like somebody upstairs takes another shit. Right, she's getting covered. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, I, if, it does make me wonder what would cause a family to dump shit at the doorstep of the building they live in. I guess that like dump it to the left a little. You know, I mean. I think that's a thing, though, that, like, people did in the Middle Ages. They just oh, dumped yeah. shit and garbage in the street because they didn't know about germs. Yeah, I mean... Are you going to walk five miles to the edge of the city to dump it? There was no, like, you know, the, 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 the Romans' invention of, of indoor plumbing and aqueducts had been kind of lost to the ages. It, I get it, just a little to the left yeah. or the right. Either one. And also, it's like... not in I, the I think door. Just, I just think things stank back then, too. Yeah. Like, there's another thing. Like, the Romans had this kind of high high standard of, of hygiene. They took regular baths and showers, but then, like, uh, that kind of went away in the Middle Ages. People started, mm. you know, thinking that, I don't know, like, baths are something that would kill you. Um, and they stank wow. accordingly. <laughs> so maybe it just didn't, like, just... Can you imagine being in, like, London, like, in the, like, in circa 1100? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like... Just the people stank. Paris or something. The streets yeah. stank. Everything just was god awful. And I, I, I think it's like it probably is like living on a hog farm where eventually, mm-hmm. it's like you just don't even smell it. No, I get upset when I go to like a city and a homeless person is pissed in a corner somewhere. Sure. And I get a slight whiff of it. What if that was just twenty four seven? Yeah. Well, you get used and to much, it. much worse. <laughs> you get yeah, used you to would. it. It's like living on a pig farm. You know, eventually uh-huh. you don't smell it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, Audrey T, this isn't a strictly a season three question, but I've always wondered why Jorah is called Jorah the Andal. If he's from the north, shouldn't he be one of the first men? Yeah, but you, if you pay attention, you'll find that the, he's only known as that on uh, by the Dothraki, and you're supposed to understand that they're just ignorant of how Westeros works. Huh. It's like, you know, you're like... like <laughs> Uh, from Indiana, uh, like 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 the way like Southerners call everyone Yankees, regardless of like how far north they are or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's just kind of like uh, you know the the idea that there's the first men and there's the Andals and there's all this, like that's just lost on the Dothraki. They're just all the Andals. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a mislabeling of him. But what's Jorah going to do? Uh, correct every single Dothraki screamer <laughs> right. that that calls him the Andal. Yeah. Uh, Mian wrote me and said, I must know the correct way to pronounce Aaron Dampier. That's the gentleman <laughs> that baptized you, you Theon it. last Damp-hair. season. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not implying you're wrong, because good old Roy, uh, rest in peace, Roy Dotrice, who is the uh, audiobook narrator of the entire Game of Thrones series thus far, mm-hmm. or a Song of Ice and Fire series, uh, good old Roy has been playing fast and loose with some of the pronunciations, such as Brienne and Catelyn especially, and just curious... Well, I'm going to let the man himself uh, weigh in here. I've got a link from George R. R. Martin where he himself clears this up. Um, how do you pronounce Aaron Greyjoy's title, Damp Fair? That's from Rob. I, damp Hair. Damp Hair. Damp okay. Hair. Yes. Okay, damp I suppose hair. I should have put a hyphen in between. To make <laughs> That's it all right. This is because he's all wet. <laughs> okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. So there you go. 
I do think that it's confusing because, as he said, he didn't hyphenate it, and there's like a uh, there's a fantasy term for vampire. It's like a half human, half vampire called mm-hmm. like a vampire that's spelled similarly like that. So, like, I think yeah. that maybe people just I don't know, but to me, it, it just read like this guy. He's got damp hair. He's a, this this saltwater priest, and he's just always <laughs> in the surf, bat, drowning people. So he's got damp hair, but that's how you pronounce it, damp hair. And that's all the non-spoiler feedback we got. Uh, if you'd like to send us some of any stripe, please send it to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. We also will have a thread each week. I'm only going to be creating a spoiler thread going forward because I think the non-spoiler thread doesn't get as much uh, traction. Um, but I'm going to be creating one uh, for the non uh, for the for the spoiler thread. If you are a non spoiler person, and you want to create one, just just do it. You know, uh, anyone cre- can create a thread on our forums at forums. Uh Let's proceed to the spoilery territory. Before we talk about the feedback, did you have anything you want to talk about as far as just like yeah things that made you go hmm about the future? Yeah, I. So first of all, just a minor observation. It's really funny seeing how they're playing Tormund when he's first introduced yeah. as this very intimidating warrior guy, mm-hmm. uh, where in later seasons he has very much become comedy relief, com- sure. comedic relief. You know, sure. he, he doesn't do much that I would call badass or intimidating anymore. He's mm-hmm. more about like his googly eyes and his, his Lur- affection for Brienne, sure. like sure. that kind of stuff. It, it was... Almost a little jarring to see how they play him in the beginning. Right. And I also like that they call him the chicken eater uh-huh. because that kind of makes a connection to the hound because the hound famously, you know, had to eat every chicken in this goddamn room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in season seven, they have a bit of a bromance or what you call it, like an anti-bromance because it's it's essentially Tormund trying to get the hound out of his shell a little bit. Yeah. Um, to probably not much effect, but I thought that was... I mean, surely they didn't intend that, um, but it's a cool its a cool little, you know, uh, hindsight f- uh, being 2020 detail. Um, the other thing, anything else? Or was, yeah. Okay, keep, uh, I mean, keep plenty, rolling. Plenty of stuff. I, there were a couple of important characters introduced in this episode uh-huh. for the first time, Miss Sandy. Uh-huh. Is introduced and Kyburn's introduced. Did they actually introduce Missandei as as a named character? I don't mm, think uh, so. He says her name at one point. Does he really? He does. When okay. he goes to cut off the nipple of the guard, he says Missandei or something. Okay. Uh, but I don't think they make a point like that's her name. Right. He just says it, and I recognized it because I know it's her name. Right. Uh, Kyburn obviously named, and he's going to be a thorn in most people's sides going forward. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting was when Cersei made a comment about Tyrion. She goes, oh, your wound isn't all that bad. I heard you lost your nose. Yeah. That's a reference to, in the books, Tyrion does get... I mean, Tyrion in the books is a lot less attractive than Peter Dinklage in real life. He's got a hunchback. He walks with this weird gait because one of his legs is is shorter than the other. He's got mismatched pair of eyes. Uh, he's described as extremely ugly. None of these things apply to the Peter Dinklage, who is quite no. an attractive man. Uh, and then, and then, in this, and then they just literally chop his nose off, so he's just got that gaping fucking hole in his face, making him look even more like a monster. So I thought that was an interesting kind of like nod and a wink to the book readers. Yep. Um, I also thought it was the the line from Roose Bolton where he goes, "I've got my best hunters after Jamie." Uh, I don't think that's literally true. 
because we find out later that surely Ramsey would be his best hunter. If he wanted to run a man down, he'd send Ramsey with his pack of dogs and that crazy woman that he's got. Uh, But he's off just fucking with Theon in the Dreadfort. Mm -hmm. So is this an early, early indication, if you're in the know, that Roos is a... Is kind of working both sides. Could be. He's like sandbag. He's sandbagging uh, uh, his, his liege lord's uh, attempts to to um, I don't know achieve his political objective. Yeah. Could uh, be. That is an interesting um, note. And then the other thing, I know that there's a theory out there that Tyrion is not actually Tywin's son, and he's he's actually uh, well. There's a lot of th- theories, but the, the the one that's not so crazy is that. He is the illegitimate son of uh, the Mad King, uh, Aerys II, because there are a lot of hints. Like Barristan Selmy talks to uh, you know t- talks about like the fact that uh, Aerys took um, improprieties with uh, the uh, Joanna Lannister um, on their wedding night, and there's also um, George Martin when he released the World of Ice and Fire specifically put in a timeline that brought Joanna Lannister back to King's Landing about nine months before Tyrion was born. And there's an implication that he could be like this this illegitimate, a secret Targaryen. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that drives a lot of people crazy um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, They think that like it, it, it cheapens the enmity between Tyrion and Tywin, which I don't understand at all. Hmm. But I thought that this line from Charles Dance where he goes, you know, I can't prove that you are not mine. So in the show, at least, I think that that I don't what you could argue that maybe he's just saying that to, to, to piss Tyrion off. But the plain reading yeah. is that Tyrion privately doesn't think that he's his son. Ty- Tywin doesn't. Yeah, Tywin. No, I, that's that's interesting. I was not super aware of like the details of that. So. Um, Makes but, a lot of sense. But yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting too. And that's all is the that, stuff is that, that I... a season eight reveal. Season um, eight, they're going to go for that in the six episodes they got left. I don't know because like there's a there's a strong theory that like um, the three heads, the dragons must have three heads, mm-hmm. and that like there's this special affinity for the the dragons to Targaryens. And we can and we saw got that the in, second head. And we last saw that season. in season yeah. seven where one of the dragons uh, was the the Rhaegal. In fact, it's the the one that's the namesake of John's actual father. Kind of like showed affection to John instead of just roasting him when they first met. Um, and then Tyrion also had a little bit of a dragon whisperer moment when he set the two remaining dragons free from Marine. Right. Uh, when he yeah. went down into the crypts and, you know, unchained them and they didn't hurt him. There was a big, you know, a pretty big theory that like, well, this the secret Targaryen thing might be true because then you'd have John, Danny, and Tyrion. Three, there's your top consensus top three fan favorites. They're essentially right. in everyone's top five. <laughs> And how awesome that would be, but it doesn't in season seven. There doesn't seem like they're going that direction. And they took out one. And they of took the out dragons, one of the dragons. Which, to me, says we're not going to do this thing, even right. if that's what was intended. Uh, now we just need two heads. So, is that still going to be a thing in the book? I mean, that's the messy thing about the books yeah. being taken over by the show, and how there might even be a little bit of bad blood between Martin and the Double Ds, um, which is unfortunate, but. You know, it's the the hand that got dealt. So, yeah, watching this scene with um, Tywin and Tyrion, where he's shitting all over Tyrion, uh, it I couldn't help but think how much different things turn out if Tywin gives Tyrion what he wants here. Oh, if Tywin nurtured like Tyrion, a natural ability. Because I mean, the the key thing here being Tyrion wouldn't have killed him, right? Right. So Tywin would have still been around to 
manage the kingdoms. Right. And I think, like, none of this stuff with Marjorie and right. Cersei gets out of hand. The sure. High Septon doesn't step in and cause all sorts of problems. Like, this kingdom might still be in the shape it needs to be in to combat... Yeah. You know, whatever Danny can bring. Yeah, I mean, imagine if, like, Tywin had shored up his support with his son, and he's got, like, Tyrion, and he could get Varys on his side, um, right. which I think Varys has got his own motivation, but, like, who could take him out? I mean, Danny might not even have been able to navigate the waters That's what I'm over, over in the slave cities. Yeah. Without yeah. Tyrion's help. Yeah. And for damn sure, coming over to Westeros would be a hell of a lot because she has no idea the political landscape there, and she could be facing united, strong Westeros, right? That has its shit together, <laughs> that has tons of stores, that's ready for the winter, and yeah. you know, and I mean, of, stuff after this starts to go immediately to shit with oh yeah, Marjorie and uh, her grandmother. What's, uh, what's her name? Lady Olena. Lady Olena. I mean that that rivalry just goes sure. to eleven. Sure. After this. Um, no, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because I, I don't even think Tywin would have to like kiss his ass. He would just have yeah. to not be so openly antagonistic about it. Right. Like what would it cost mm-hmm. Tywin to promise, you know what? I'm going to, you, you, you did a good job as a hand. I'm going to give you a little bit more responsibility. We'll talk about some lands and then like, you he know, he does that in this scene. If, and then he turns around when, but, but he could have just said, and then we'll see about cat. He could just oh, we'll dangle that okay. carrot and he, and he like, I, I just, just let up a little bit, and that yeah. would probably... But I, I just think that's... Tywin's incapable of that. Yeah, he's a, a man of He's incapable of inspiring <laughs> anything but, like, fear and jealousy amongst his children. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like real love or affection. No. Because he can't give it himself. Because he thinks it's a liability and a weakness. Because that's what his father... He's constantly afraid of the shadow of his father, who was known as a weak man, who was soft-hearted, and who was taken advantage of, and was almost openly rebelled by the lords of the... Uh, uh, of the uh, shit, the uh, the Westerlands, and uh, Tywin's not going to let that happen. Yeah, uh, and and finally, correct me if I'm wrong on this, because uh, I don't remember season three very well. They don't do anything with the warlocks from here on out, right? I don't think so. There's a couple. Not of a dangling. damn thing. Why bring it back at the beginning of season three and then do nothing with it? I feel like that's a mistake that they made early on in this. Season. I I think that. They laid a lot of tracks to kind of meet George later in later books that George didn't didn't finish the books because like you'll you remember uh, there's like this mysterious one called Quaith that yeah. had that jeweled mask that gave all these kind of quasi interesting prophecies and she disappears off the map too but it's very clear that she'll be something in the books and I think there's like this like this warlocks and the Quaith and stuff like that there was a whole lot of other juicy things that the double D's were like you know what fuck this we're gonna streamline it and get but it felt like they. They said, fuck this, after they wrote the first episode of the season, and then well, I don't think, decided we're not going to do anything with that, I, I, and didn't I, go back and change it. To me, I think things went bad between Martin and the Double Ds in season five. So that's still two seasons away. Where it, but they don't do anything in those two seasons with the Warlocks. Yeah, I guess that's do, true. Do they? But maybe, I, like, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just guessing that... Um, and, you know, I, I, I got to say, I don't know who in the books. I'd have to look to see if there's an implication of who. Maybe some other faction sent the Death's Head Scorpion, uh, and they just decided to go with a villain that we already knew instead of introducing some other, you right. know. Um, but, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. It just it didn't, feel, it didn't feel very good knowing that they're not really a big deal. 
coming up. I did like I do like how they use them here. That like 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 it kind of underlines the danger Danny's in. That she's in. A, she's still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she escaped um, Karth, and she has a boat, a couple boats, and you know. But she's still a stranger in a strange land that doesn't understand, and she doesn't have a lot of friends, and she has a lot of enemies. And even the ones we thought maybe were vanquished last season are still a threat. But they don't... Yeah, you're right. They don't really uh, do anything with that past that. Jeff in Chicago. Did you see Jeff last weekend? I didn't. You didn't? didn't. Just missed him. Ah, darn it. Uh, One thing I wanted to get your guys' take on during the season is where this season stacks against the rest. Ah, fuck me. You can't do this to me. I haven't seen the season yet. (laughs) (laughs) This may be better suited for... I was thinking about it. It's been like... Eight years or so? No, no, five years yeah, since been, I've watched season three of Game of Thrones. It's 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 been a minute. Um, yeah. So he goes. Uh, this maybe is better suited for the preview podcast, but due to your unique Game of Thrones preview, I thought I'd email it now. When I first watched season three of Game of Thrones, I thought it was the most exciting season of television I'd ever seen. I believe I've watched the season three times in full, and probably watched certain episodes on top of those full season watches. Let's start with the Rob Stark storyline. One thing I noticed quickly in the second run through the years ago was that Rob Stark storyline this season is pretty boring. The progression rivals that of Danny in seasons two, three, and five. Do you think this is a result of knowing what's coming in episode nine and that no matter what he did this season, once you know the result, it will seem like low stakes? I don't believe so. I think he makes uh, misstep after misstep that are extremely noticeable on subsequent watches. And although I was shocked and speechless after Red Wedding, I can't help but feeling it was extremely obvious that his days were numbered. Rob goes from badass in season two, but completely outclassed by Tywin in this season due to inexperienced connections and complacency. Overall, I think the season is my favorite upon first watch, but falls behind seasons one and six after rewatches. It still has the start of the Jamie Redemption arc, which is, in my opinion, the strongest aspect of the season. I'd like to get your input on if you still think the season is strong after analyzing it, knowing the Red Wedding is coming. I'll let you know in 10 weeks. <laughs> well, it's a good question. And I remember when I was first going through this, because I don't know if you guys remember, but the book fan, and I'm not saying all book fans, because I am a book fan, but they're a certain small minority that were very vocal, were extremely obnoxious this season with the whole hints about the red wedding and tee hee and all the stuff like like they they couldn't stay the fuck out of like non-spoiler threads without the tee hee and oh you just wait and oh i mean it it was it was pretty sad to the point that i remember uh mad brew who was the non-spoiler uh, spoiled uh, co-host at the time i was very worried that he was going to start putting two and two together because you're right it just um Seeing this on the second time through is just is just Rob slipping on one banana peel after the other to lands him into the grave. Hmm. Um, but I think it's telling that that didn't you didn't get that on the first watch. So and unfortunately, the Red Wedding was spoiled for me before I even started reading the books. That's why I decided to read the books. I was going to do this as a completely show first podcast. I'm glad it didn't go that way. But hmm. I got the Red Wedding spoiled. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to read all this because what are the odds I'm not going to get spoiled doing this podcast? Yeah. Um, so I don't the, know. The like, thing is, they they sort of sealed Rob's fate last season, right? the The mistake the, the mistake that ultimately gave Tywin the opening to work with was him jilting. Yes, uh, the Walder uh, Frey. Walder Frey. Yeah. Thank you. And I, as far as the which which season I like the best, I think season four might be 
my favorite Man, season, season four is Fast and Furious. Like, you've got the Purple Wedding. And that's in the second episode. I know. It's it's immediate. you got the Purple Wedding. You've got uh, Hard Home is in that season at the end. Um, shit, there's one other, like, no, Hard huge... Home is in season, in, in season five. But you've got... Oh, it is? You've got the Trial of Tyrion. You've got Prince Oberyn. Yeah. Uh, you've got the, the coming right. forward and say, I'll be your champion. Then you've got uh-huh. the tragic turn of the mountain and the viper. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the the battle of uh, Castle Black and Watchers on the Wall. Um, That's what I was thinking of, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I think season four might be my favorite season uh, just, just, just overall. I remember being stunned by how much happens, like how many big events happen in season four. Right, right. Um, there's the, you know, the, the, the traveling, the one, the better traveling road shows of Game of Thrones between, uh, Arya and the Hound. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really think, uh, I, I really think season four is strong, but I think se- season three and four are kind of like the high water points of Game of Thrones before you got into the stumbles of Dorne, um, that yeah. happened in season five. They kind of like continue to echo through season six. And then season seven was, I think on balance good, but there was some weird plotting because they were trying to really desperately, you know, but like George Martin, the whole reason we haven't gotten a book yet is I don't think that fucker knows how to get Danny out of Marine. <laughs> I really don't. And the double D's are just like, you know, we're just going to have, you know, fuck it. We're just going to have her come over and, will invent a reason to get all these people in a room to so they can talk the, and they're the going to be a betrayal. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just like, you know, really trying to, to to drive a lot over a lot of broken, crappy ground to get there. But yeah, I think three and four are a toss-up of the, the, the which is my favorite. I think three's got the bigger, like, boomf moment. And and we're going to see, like, some masterclass acting uh, with Jamie and Brynn in the hot tub where Jamie talks about his his role as the Kingslayer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of really great... And then, of course, the Red Wedding is the moment in Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. But like, I felt like season four had like three Red Wedding class moments, and yep. they were spread evenly throughout the season. It just was like a, a roller coaster ride. So I think season four is my favorite. Plus, seeing Joffrey choke to death and turn purple. It's nothing better. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, Tori W., uh, this is one I kicked from the main email to the spoiler section in the Heron Hall scene. I believe this is the first time we see Kyburn. Was he there the entire time Arya was there? Was this discussed more in the books? Um, Kyburn, as a disgraced maester, found work where he could get it in the books. And in the books, he joined a troop of sellswords called the Brave Companions, uh, who were mockingly referred to by others as the Bloody Mummers because. They're just like the dregs of society from all over the, the, the planet. Like there's shit heels from Essos. There's shit heels from Southros. There's shit heels from Westeros. They're all wearing this flamboyant clothes and they all look like a joke and they're all blood, bloody minded and ruthless. And he's kind of like their, their medic. Um, and, uh, he, he gets, uh, the, 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 the bloody, the bloody mummers chop off, uh, Jamie's hand, as happens in this this season, and when Roose Bolton gets there, he has Kyburn heal him up, and then he sends Kyburn back with Jamie to King's Landing to kind of make sure he gets there, you know, a okay because he's trying to curry favor with Tywin, obviously, uh, and that's how Kyburn makes it back to King's Landing. Um, so it's you know it it's 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 
comparable, but we don't get a lot of his backstory in the books that's not eventually revealed in the show as well. Hmm. Um, David R. recently did a rewatch of season three myself and was struck by the observation. Jon Snow is a prince raised as a bastard. Joffrey is a bastard raised as a prince. <laughs> they don't do a lot with that duality because other than season yeah. one, they don't even really meet or interact. Um, but it is it is uh, it is interesting thing to note. And I mean, until recently, we didn't even know that. We so, didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was one of the most popular theories for for a long while. Right, but you can't do something with something you haven't told the audience yet. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Shaka C. When the walls fell. Uh, <laughs> I just snuck a Star Trek joke in there. Quick question. Since the show has now surpassed the books, would you? I would love an opinion on what event you feel is the most significant departure from GRRM's original intentions. I know Jim has not read... Quick the, answer. I don't know. <laughs> I know Jim hasn't read the books yet, but in my opinion, the Sept Explosion seemed like the most non-book event. It mm. seems like a totally made-for-TV moment that would be very surprised if uh, Germ would have ever written something like that. I know it's an odd question, especially for Jim. Just curious, even for his perspective, and what's the most made-for-TV moment was. I mean, the Sept explosion is hard to tell because we haven't got there in the books yet. Um, but I don't know. I think the big deviation is probably uh, the Dorn plot. Mm, yeah. Um, and to the extent that I, I... I guess they had to do it because Oberyn was kind of like a dangling Chad of the of, of season four, like like you introduce this badass character from Dorn, and they've got this axe to, gra- uh, to grind against the Lannisters, and then their champion gets killed, and like Dorn's just going to be like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. you know, they're unbowed, unbent, unbroken. So they had to have something there, but like, boy, what they had was not great, and now that we've seen the whole conclusion to it, it doesn't seem like it was worth worth everything we went through to get there hmm. um but i it's it's tough because it's not i wouldn't say it's a made for tv moment it was just a really botched translation of a book plot that's in the middle of, of things and it's probably a red herring too because like i don't think the dorn plot's going to be that significant in the books it's just you know another potential rival or another potential complication to danny uh, on our way to to the the throne, so I I, I kind of feel like that. I'm trying to think of another big any other big changes. Probably the the biggest one in my mind is what Littlefinger says when he throws uh, Arryn uh, into the the moon <laughs> right. or whatever the hell it is. Right. Instead of only cat the moon door. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, there's like <laughs> that. Now I I do think people certainly made the biggest deal of it. Yeah, and I just, I don't know. I don't know why sometimes, the, the, to me, that seems like an unforced error. Like, why? I mean, you either trust your audience to remember that this is Cat's sister, and and you've got multiple tools that you can help them do that. Like, you've got fucking the previously ons, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why you would alter dialogue in big moments. You know, it'd be like if uh, Bruce Bolton, instead of saying Lannister Cindery Guard, said Yabba Dabba Do. You know, it's like, <laughs> why, why? What? Why? Why? Yeah. The Lannisters, your mortal enemies that had killed your father back in season one and who have been fighting. It's like, come on, man. It doesn't doesn't flow. That's my I, I think the, the Dorn plot is the biggest. Although, I mean, if we if 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 you're throwing in the sept, I guess I would say the the rescue a white or bring back a white sample to King's Landing seems pretty far fetched. There's no fucking way that's George's <laughs> end game. Right. Um, it's man, it's going to be so fascinating if he ever finishes these fucking books to see 
Because, like, I... The three-headed dragon is so strong, it makes... I'm very skeptical that the, the ice dragon shit happens exactly like that in the books. Right. Because they've also had this whole, like, magical horn that might be able to knock down the wall. Like, uh, that might be... I mean, we might see a lot of big middle fingers to George by the time this se- series is over. If fucking George can get the books done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lauren C. from Australia. Uh... I'm very excited for season three recap and it's very timely because I was wanting to email about my favorite Game of Thrones romance story, Jamie and Brienne, as it sees its origins in season three. I was hesitant to ask you guys to comment on the G- uh, Jamie Brienne love story and that there is a view to say that Game of Thrones is above love and romance storylines. But upon hmm. reflection, so many major events in the text are deeply related to romance, sex and love or the lack thereof, such as Jamie throwing Bran out the window, King Robert's vengeance against Prince Rhaegar. Baelish's unrequited love, Tyrion and Shay, the Red Wedding, etc. So perhaps more of a love story than it appears on its action-packed service. Plus, boat sex. <laughs> right, don't forget boat sex. Boat sex. I think the characters' love for one another is heavily shadowed in the books, the show, and the actors and directors all hinting at the romance quite explicitly, with Bronn even hitting us over the head with the less-than-subtle, do-you-think-they're-fucking? chat with Pod. It's widely speculated in the various internets that Gurm views Jamie and Brienne's relationship as a take on the Beauty and the Beast trope. I think some form of love declaration or sex or marriage would round that both their character arcs nicely. However, I can also easily imagine one of them sacrificing themselves for the other and or dying in the other's arms in the wars to come. What do you guys think about the fate of them and their romance in season eight? What do you think, Jim? Ah... <sighs> Man, it's so hard to say now with Jamie being, you know, outside the boundaries of his family and mm-hmm. and his his legacy. Uh, I think there's a possibility for for the romance to to blossom, but yeah. I I'm not like I'm not holding my breath for it. Yeah, I mean, there's so much other stuff that's got to happen in these six episodes yeah i wouldn't be surprised if even their intention was to come back to it it gets lost in the shuffle yeah because there's only six episodes and even if they're like 90 minutes long that's still right. a lot of shit that has to be done you gotta you gotta beat the white walkers you gotta resolve you gotta beat two Cersei. wars you gotta beat Euro. yeah you gotta you gotta come up with a bittersweet ending that kind of like makes people feel like the whole thing is worth it in six episodes it's a tall order maybe uh, jamie and brian could be part of that bittersweet ending here's I, I think that the the romance is hint, like in the book like jamie has explicitly like erotic dreams and imageries when he thinks of brian like unsubconsciously and unbidden um i think that he is intrigued by this powerful woman um that is completely unlike the other woman that he loved that you know she's not physically beautiful and in the books brian's uh made out to be ugly now i've always said like is she because like she's got full lips and high cheekbones and bright blue eyes and like like is is is, is it's kind of like when they say that are like Arya is called a horse face but then she's also favorably compared to her aunt Lyanna which is one of the most beautiful women in the world so like hmm. is this people throwing sour grapes at Brienne because she's a badass and the world's not set up to handle a woman like that hmm. um, because you know obviously Gwendolyn Christie is very attractive. Um, but I think that like, you know, setting all that, like, even if she's not physically attractive, she's like the anti, uh, Cersei, she's courageous and loyal and, and just and righteous. And, you know, perhaps 
you know, also manly and kind of oafish. But, you know, Cersei's beautiful, but it's ex- skin deep. Mm-hmm. So the problem I have with them being heavily or happily after after is I think Jamie has to answer for shoving a kid out the window. I don't think that he can. I don't think that he can redeem his way out of that. I I think that unfortunately Jamie's role is going to be to redeem himself through a heroic sacrifice to turn his back finally on his family and his sister and do the right thing once again. Um but I yeah I, just, I don't think that you can I, I I just that's always been like I love uh, Jamie and I love his face turn in this season but holy shit he tried to murder a child an eight year old boy mm-hmm. how can Martin let him off the hook for that Yeah I mean I guess if I if I were to play devil's advocate I'd say that bad people don't always get punished for the bad things they do That's true. And it's not a very satisfying thing from a you know storybook perspective, but uh, it doesn't necessarily have to get punished. And if if they do enough to bring him around uh, to where the character is liked by the audience, yeah, then maybe the audience won't care that yeah. he doesn't get you know what he truly deserves, right? Um, because I, I mean, a lot of I feel like Jamie's history gives him a lot of latitude not enough latitude to push a child out the window yeah um but a lot of latitude because he has suffered silently for so long right um you know being i guess miscast mislabeled as this villain uh-huh. um you know the kingslayer yeah uh so i i as a viewer tend to give him a little bit more credit than uh, a man who shoves a child out a window and I know nothing about him otherwise. Right. right. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's enough, but maybe, maybe by the end. It is interesting because, as you point out, he did the right thing already and was punished for it. Yeah. Like, severely. Like, you know, everyone that's honorable in the land from Ned Stark on down thinks that he's the Kingslayer and he's looked down upon, but yet he saved, he's arguably the hero of King's Landing. Right. Um, I don't know. I just, like, that's my... That's my creeping worry about the Brienne Jamie romance is that just Jamie has got the answer for the sins he's committed um, mm-hmm. ever since the, the 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 King's Landing incident. So I don't know. We we we'll see. But uh, they have to do something in the final six episodes, right? Right. Right. You can't right. look at everything individually and say, well, they don't have time for that. Right. And I don't know. Like I so it also maybe like, this is important. How matchy matchy is this thing going to get? Because you've already yeah. got like I, I I honestly think the bittersweet of Game of Thrones is going to be because the realm is going to be okay and is going to be saved but I think our individual p- heroes are going to in in much the same way that like Lord of the Rings went down where Frodo saved the Shire but not for himself I think yeah. that Danny and John might re- reunite Westeros but one of them will die uh, Jamie might redeem himself, but he he will die because like otherwise, like you know, what are we gonna do? Is like because the people like, oh, you think Tyrion will marry Sansa? Do you think it's like what the fuck do you think the final episode is gonna be like? Six weddings and a million funerals. Like, uh-huh. what, what? What? I mean, it's it, it can't right. And yeah. and 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 Martin saying it's gonna be bittersweet. So like you got anytime you got the sweet, you got to think about where the bitter's gonna come from. Mm-hmm. So I think the sweet's gonna come from people's individual redemption and the and the people being saved. But the bitter is gonna come from a lot of these heroes being scarred and having to give the ultimate sacrifice. 
So yeah. anything else on this subject? Because that nope. is the feedback for the week. Again, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com, uh, forums.baldmove.com. And we will see you next week for the second episode. I am really glad to be back to the land of Game of Thrones. Uh, next episode, The Lion and the Rose. We'll consider that next week, and I will see you there.